All yours, Tony. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a school, the School for a Course in Miracles Miracle Hour. I'm Tony Neal, and today we're going to be t talking about taking stock of our investments. So I wanted to start off with a centering uh, message from Lesson 258. I'll read it, and then we'll get still for a minute. Let me remember that my goal is God. All that is needful is to train our minds to overlook all little senseless aims and to remember that our goal is God. His memory is hidden in our minds, obscured by, but by our pointless little goals, which offer nothing and do not exist. Shall we continue to allow God's grace to shine in unawareness while the toys and trinkets of the world are sought instead, God is our only goal, our only love. We have no aim but to remember him. Our goal is but to follow in the way that leads to you. We have no goal but this. What could we want but to remember him? What could we seek but our identity? So let's just take that thought for a minute and get still. And gently come back. So today we're going to be looking at our investments, where we are putting our trust and our faith, and why it's important not just for us to discover that, but it's important for everyone because we are, we are one, one sonship, one mind, all minds are joined. So the inspiration for today's idea came from an unexpected source. Um, there, I have a family member in their mid-20s who has always suffered with severe dyslexia. And he made it through school, but he became somewhat withdrawn with low self-esteem. And he thinks everyone else, you know, thinks poorly of him, which we don't. But he, is, he doesn't really have a lot of focus. He hasn't found his way yet. And I really hadn't had a real conversation with him in years until recently. And I had heard that he had developed this almost an obsession, this fascination with finance and the stock market. And that he had a real aptitude for it, which I, really just surprised me. And so uh, he knew, you know, when to buy and when to trade and when to sell all that. He, he just really had a knack for it. And so when he came to this recent gathering, we managed to kind of steer the conversation purposely <laughs> in that direction because I just wanted to hear more about it. And I was just amazed that he opened up. Like I said, I hadn't had a real conversation in years with him, but he just, you could tell it was his passion, you know, and he was all excited. And, and so finally I couldn't stand it anymore. And I said, how did you become so knowledgeable? You know, what, did someone, you know, their parents maybe were in the stock market? Or, you know, how did you do this? And he just shook his head. He said, no says, I shut my room, myself in my room for 10 hours a day, 
And that's all I did was to read and read and read. And I guess had dyslexia, you know, that it took even more focus. And I guess he'd listen to, you know, things on the internet. And, you know, I had heard about musicians doing the same thing. You know, they just kind of lock themselves in the bedroom and practice their guitars and they become really good. And somebody said that you can have this breakthrough, like achieve this mastery, maybe after a thousand hours or whatever. But I thought, you know, what commitment, what dedication, what focus, what vigilance. And I, then I thought, you know, I thought about my own life and I thought, do I have as much commitment <laughs> to this spiritual path? Do any of us? Do we spend more time focused on, you know, the external world and all of its craziness? Or do we spend more time each day, more time with our inner teacher and guide, asking for help and how to see all this craziness through his eyes, how to, how to forgive, how to let go of our judgments? Do we truly believe that we're loved, that we are guiltless, invulnerable, or do we spend more time focusing on how we are not any of those things, feeling guilty, beating ourselves up because we aren't there yet? <laughs> and I had a laugh because when I thought about that, I, I got an image. You know how people talk about going to heaven and St. Peter meeting them at the gate. Well, I had a picture of Jesus standing there at the gateway to the real world. And the sign said there, and then he had this sign say, congratulations, you've arrived. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, we do that sometimes, keep saying, well, I'm just not there yet. But Jesus is telling us to find true peace, not dependent on anything in the world. We must forgive. We must let go of our judgments in order to awaken from the dream. We have to question every value and every belief that we hold. So is that my sole purpose where I direct most of my time and attention? Locking the metaphorical door, so to speak, on the outside so that only what is in line with this purpose is allowed in. And it's not a judgment, just like taking a spiritual inventory. And it does require honesty and humility to admit that maybe we are misvigilant as we would like to be or could be. And again, it's not meant to beat yourself up or judge yourself or heaven forbid, feel guilty. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get rid of. That's the ego's way of first trying to distract you, make you feel bad, and then turn around and make you feel bad for doing it. But, you know, we say we want to remember God, what it means to be his son, to know our real creations. What, what does that mean? And we say that in all sincerity. But, there's the but, we want that and something else. We have other goals in the world. We want a better dream. There is no God and. God is all in all. It has to be all or nothing. The Course tells us in Chapter 7 in the Gifts of the Kingdom, to be in the kingdom is merely to put your full attention on it. We're already there. We haven't left heaven. So to be in the kingdom is merely to put your full attention on it. It's a state of mind. And in chapter 12, it says, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. In the two pictures in chapter 17, which we discussed just recently, he talks about ascendance. Let us ascend in peace together 
to the Father by giving him ascendance in our minds. So, you know, he has to come first. He has to be foremost. Now, having said that, I think all of us here are committed to this path. It's obvious or we wouldn't be here in this class every day. And personally, that has always been my goal, was to know the truth. And then finally it became just, I just wanted peace. But I took a lot of detours along the way and still do sometimes. And Jesus tells us that our way will be different. We were just discussing that the other night, that it's not needful that we spend hours in meditation or on a mountaintop, but it's through relationships and through forgiveness that we will find our way. But one thing is sure, we have all achieved mastery at believing that we are egos, living in a world of separate bodies with separate interests, separate minds, and we are heavily invested in maintaining this sense of separate existence. And it's been quite an accomplishment, you know, to teach ourselves that we actually pulled off the impossible. It says never underestimate the power of our learning skill, our learning ability. The power of our mind is so incredible, in fact, that it says the power of thought and belief combine to a power surge that can literally move mountains. Now, he's probably not talking about physical mountains, but the obstacles in our mind. So, you know, now we've made this whole thought system of belief, which is totally opposed to the truth. And it takes a lot of vigilance to uphold it, to maintain it. But the same power, the power of our minds to choose, can be redirected, reinvested in the Holy Spirit's thought system if we are equally as vigilant in that. But first, it is necessary to look with Jesus, look with the Holy Spirit at what we are so invested in, and see where we are putting our faith and our trust, and see how it happened and why, and just what purpose it serves, and what it has cost us, because only then will we decide on a new purpose and a new direction. So first of all, you know, how do we know that we are invested in something? Sometimes it's obvious. It's what we spend a great deal of time and attention on, effort, maybe money or thought. Obviously, it's something we value. Why would we do that if we didn't value it? Other times it isn't quite as obvious. It can be our reactions to something will tell us that. Something that someone says or does and Sometimes it can just be this, we feel this little bit mild irritation and we internalize it. And other times it might be just, you know, expressed as outright rage and indignation. It says a slight frown, you know, can mask the underlying anger and rage. We can become defensive. So that, that's always a clue. <laughs> we are invested in a belief our sense of identity feels threatened. So we become defensive, we need to protect it. So um, we can be invested in a particular outcome. The need to be right, you'd rather be right than happy. The need to be heard. The need to make someone else wrong. And it's never just, you know, that we can be for something, it seems like that always has, that means we have to be against something. Like politicians, you know, they don't get up there and just 
talk about all the great things that they're going to do. They have to tell you all the things that their opponents did wrong. So there's this almost like this fierce loyalty and, you know, indignation that we hold on to. That can be a sign we are heavily invested in holding grievances. The need to make someone else wrong, that makes them the guilty ones, not me. So it's almost that my innocence has to come at their expense. The need to correct, the need to judge, the need to cast blame. Somebody or something else is the reason why I'm upset. And Kim Watnick said that there's a difference between a preference and an investment because you can't help but have preferences of being here in this world of differences. So, um, you know, we could get disappointed if things don't turn out the way we want, we didn't get what we wanted, but then we, we just accept it and we move on. But if we get really upset about it and we can't let it go, well, then that, you know, we need that to make us happy. Well, that's the key. As egos, we are really needy. <laughs> you know, there can also be, we can be invested in spiritual specialness, that, you know, our way is the more superior way and the smug superiority that we might feel about our path. We might be invested in being a good course student or being a good course teacher. And then we become judgmental of other ones, other paths, other teachers. And we need ours to be the right ones. And then we'll feel the need to defend that because it has become part of our identity almost. And we are invested heavily in maintaining that, that sense of identity. Conversely, we may be invested in a poor self-image. We can or don't want to accept help. We, we may feel defeated or worthless, but... I don't want to give up this image because I might have to give up being a victim and then stop blaming someone or something for why I am the way I am. If you know anybody like that, <laughs> it's their fault. It's too late for me. So I'm invested in my story. I have to keep this. I don't want anything to take that away you know, from me. It's their self-image. So it's always something external on the outside that's the cause of my problems but it's actually the other way around. You know, what's the common denominator <laughs> in all their perceived problems? It's us. And they serve a purpose to keep us focused on this body, the world, on being the victim. So we'll never look within where the real problem is. The guilt that we have or thinking we left heaven and the fear of God, the fear of losing our specialness, the fear of losing individuality, and these are all indications that when we feel any of these things that we do maybe have a strong investment. And if we are not experiencing peace, then we know it is misplaced. And all of it can be summed up as expressions of specialness and special relationships. So why are we so invested in these things that I've been talking about? Well, it's obviously because we think they bring us something of value. They're important to our self-image, our self-concept. I wanted to read, um, let's see, on page 233 of the text. Lesson 128, the world I see holds nothing that I want. And he tells us, 
The world you see holds nothing that you need to offer you, nothing that you can use in any way, nor anything at all that serves to give you joy. Believe this thought and you are saved from years of misery, from countless disappointments, and from hopes that turn to bitter ashes of despair. No one but must accept this thought as true if he would leave the world behind and soar beyond its petty scope and little ways. Each thing you value here is but a chain that binds you to the world, and it will serve no other end but this. For everything must serve the purpose you have given it until you see a different purpose there. The only purpose worthy of your mind this world contains is that you pass it by without delaying to perceive some hope where there is none. Be you deceived no more. The world you see holds nothing that you want. <clears throat> Escape today the chains that you place upon your mind <clears throat> when you perceive salvation here. For what you value, you make part of you as you perceive yourself. So it actually becomes part of our self-image, our self-concept. All things you seek to make your value greater in your sight, limit you further, hide your worth from you, and add another bar across the door that leads to true awareness of your true self. Let nothing that relates to body thoughts delay your progress to salvation nor permit temptation to believe the world holds anything you want to hold you back. Nothing is here to cherish. Nothing here is worth one instant of delay and pain, one moment of uncertainty and doubt. The worthless offer nothing. Certainty of worth cannot be found in worthlessness. So he lays it all out in the line right there really well. In other lessons, this world I see holds nothing that I want. So our investments are showing us where we think our safety lies, where we think our salvation lies. But our salvation truly lies in investing in reality. And chapter 12 talks a lot about that. I'm starting on page 220, and I just had some selections I'd like to read from this chapter, so I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. Uh, so paragraph one, Jesus says, and he's you know referring to what he said in the Bible, and he says, I once asked you to sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. This is what I meant. If you have no investment, in anything in this world, you can teach the poor where their treasure is. The poor are merely those who have invested wrongly, and they are poor indeed. Because they are in need, it is given you to help them, since you are among them. Consider how perfectly your lesson would be learned if you were unwilling to share their poverty. For poverty is lack. And there is but one lack, since there is but one need. And of course, he's talking about, you know, the only thing we really need is to awaken to the truth. Suppose a brother insists on having you do something you think you do not want to do. His very insistence, and that's another key, uh, the word insistence, 
should tell you that he believes salvation lies in it. If you insist and refuse on refusing an experience a quick response of opposition, that's another clue. <laughs> you are believing that your salvation lies in not doing it. You then are making the same mistake he is and are making his error real to both of you. Insistence means investment. And what you invest in is always related to your notion of salvation. The question is always twofold. First, what is to be saved? And second, how can it be saved? Whenever you become angry with a brother for whatever reason, you are believing that the ego is to be saved and to be saved by attack. If he attacks, you are agreeing with his belief. And if you attack, you are reinforcing it. Remember that those who attack are poor. Okay. So then I'm just going to jump down to um, let's see the next paragraph four. Recognize what does not matter, and if your brothers ask you for something outrageous, do it because it doesn't matter. And then uh, par uh, paragraph five: salvation is for the mind, and it is attained through peace. This is the only thing that can be saved, and the only way to save it. Uh, down to six: to identify with the ego is to attack yourself and make yourself poor. Okay, and over paragraph uh, nine on the next page, he tells us the, of how the world that we perceive is a world of separation. Perhaps you're willing to accept even death to deny your father, yet we, he would not have it so, and so it is not so. Okay, and then um, he tells us how we project what we don't want out of our mind. Says, do not believe it is outside of yourself, for only by recognizing where it is will you gain control over it. For you do have control over your mind, since the mind is the mechanism of decision. So here he's putting it back. This is the real source, the mind, and that, that's, that's great to know because now we can make a choice because this is a mechanism of decision, the decision maker that you know, Kim Wapnick coin that term. And then he says, if you will recognize that all the attack you perceive is in your own mind and nowhere else, you will at last have placed its source and where it begins, it must end. For in the same place also lies salvation. And then he tells us to find the place you must relinquish your investment in the world as you project it, allowing the Holy Spirit to extend the real world to you from the altar of God. So, Aaron, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought something. That's something. Uh, so, uh, so may appear to take all of these forms. forms. I'm having an But the course teaches is really simple. We are either invested in illusions or in, or in the truth. We're either invested in sin or our innocence, holiness, the lie, the ego thought system of sin, guilt, and fear that says the separation really happened and which manifests as the many forms of special relationships in this dream, or we are invested in the truth, 
the Holy Spirit's thought system, that says we remain at home in heaven. We remain as God created us. We're innocent because it's impossible to leave our source. Ideas leave not their source. The separation never happened and forgiveness is the way to remember this. So there's a cost to, to investing wrongly. And he explains that some more in uh, chapter 12, page 227, paragraph one. He says, the cost to us of investing wrongly uh, the ego is trying to teach you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul. The Holy Spirit teaches that you cannot lose your soul. And there is no gain in the world, for of itself it profits nothing. To invest without profit is surely to impoverish yourself, and the overhead is high. Not only is there no profit in the investment, but the cost to you is enormous. For this investment costs you the world's reality by denying yours, your reality, and gives you nothing in return. You cannot sell your soul, but you will not know it while you perceive something as more valuable. And then um, on page 228, he says, you do not want the world. The only thing of value in it is whatever part of it you look upon with love. Only the loving thoughts are true. This gives it the only reality it will ever have. <laughs> and how do we know when we have invested wrongly? Anybody want to answer that? How do we know when we've invested wrongly? Anybody? <laughs> well, loss of peace. <laughs> That's the key. And I, I love this, the prayer at the end of chapter 15. I, I carry this around with me all the time and I pass it out to people. I make little bookmarks and everything with it on there. The prayer at, um, the, I'm sorry, chapter five, uh, section seven, I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. It says, I made the decision myself, but I can also decide otherwise. So right there, he's give, telling us that we have that decision-making capability I want to decide otherwise because I want to be at peace. It's, it's our choice. I do not feel guilty because the Holy Spirit will undo all the consequences of my wrong decision if I will let him. So all of our loss of peace, all the angst, that's the Holy Spirit's job. We just have to turn it over. I choose to let him. And how do we do that? by allowing him to decide for God for me. We don't know how to, you know, we don't know how to decide for God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We just have to have that little willingness to say, um, you know, there's gotta be a better way I need help because I don't like what I'm experiencing. So help me to see this differently. So it all boils down to, you know, do we, want a better dream or do we want to awaken from the dream it's a way of saying the same thing it's amazing how many different ways he can come up with to <laughs> you know to, to, just keeps repeating the same thing because it's always the same problem well the truth is we really don't want to awaken and all these things are just showing us that we really don't want to we need to have our problems and we need to have all these situations so that we'll never go back 
And as we talked about that recently, and it's in chapter 18, and he tells us that the special relationships are the means by which we try to make our sleeping dreams come true. It is our determination to keep our hold on unreality and prevent ourselves from waking. We are invested in staying asleep. So, you know, it's telling us this purpose pur had, serves a purpose. <laughs> all of our problems, all of our investments, we need them to keep us from ever looking at the truth. And we so deceived ourselves that we have pulled off the impossible. And now we place all of our belief and our trust and our faith and holding on to that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, actually, it's not just a little bit. There's so many places in the course, I couldn't include them all. But what the course has to say about the power of belief and faith, the power that we have within as decision makers to choose where we place it and to ultimately withdraw the investment in illusions and reinvest them in the truth. But before I go on, does anybody have anything they'd like to say, add, share, comment? Anybody? Am I, uh, am I echoing? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably on my end, but it only happens on occasion. So. <laughs> I wanted to... Uh, um... Like whenever I, t I take any any topic um, at all, whether it's a topic in the course or even a worldly topic, um, what what helps me to frame it is um, Ken's chart. So uh, you, you know, you take something like forgiveness. What does forgiveness look like in the world? But then, what does forgiveness look like in the mind? Take investments. What what do, what do investments look like in the world? And then. What am I really invested in the mind? Uh, that uh, investment in reality um, section in chapter 12. I mean, he starts off talking about, um, you know, of course we're invested in things in the world that make us feel good, that, that help, <laughs> that help us feel better. I mean, that's just the, the conscious thing going on. Um, and then he says underneath that, so that's the, world, that's the worldly investment. However, he says what, you, what we're not admitting is in all those special love relationships, that investment is just a setup waiting for me to point the finger at who robbed me of that investment, who's standing in the way of that investment that's making me feel good. So, I mean, it's always guilt. I mean, it doesn't look like, you know, even in the, I mean, in the mind we're sort of, you know, Jesus says we're invested in guilt. We're invested in separation. But then we flip that around, and in the world, it doesn't look like we're invested in separation and guilt. It looks like we're invested in things that are going to make us feel good. But that's the huge setup. And um, until I think we begin, I begin to recognize that setup, I'm not really motivated to let it go. Because why wouldn't I go after the few crumbs that are making me feel good? <laughs> I mean, be silly not to. <laughs> if the world is such a rough place, you know, of course I'm going to go after what makes me feel good. However, if I realize with Jesus's help that this is all set up for me to, to not just eventually feel bad, but to have somebody to blame it on. I mean, that's always the, you know, we're, it doesn't look like we're invested in judgment, but we are. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're totally invested in 
in finding something that's going to make us feel good. And then the big payoff is when it, it falls through, I get to judge somebody. It's not my fault. So I get to keep the inner guilt of separating from God. And then I pretend I'm running around in the world trying to be invested in something that makes me feel good. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm invested in judgment. <laughs> I can't wait to see who the bad guy is. Because <laughs> that'll prove I'm still guilty internally. Never admit that. That's like totally off the charts. I mean, I mean, just even say I'm invested in guilt. Well, that sounds like a huge drag. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> I mean, I'm invested in death. Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> Why would I do that? I mean, just even fessing up to the possibility that maybe my investments aren't what I think is huge. And then, and then thank God, we had, like moving into this next part, the power of the decision maker, I can actually choose to look at what's really going on this self-conspiracy to, to make me think I'm invested in nice stuff and I'm not. I'm just not. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. In, uh, it starts off right in chapter one. I just have some uh, things I selected from different places in the course where he's talking about how powerful our belief is. And he says in chapter one, and uh, on page 14, the real purpose of this world is to use it to correct your unbelief. Belief produces the acceptance of existence. That is why you can believe what no one else thinks is true. It is true for you because it was made by you. And in, paragraph, in chapter two, uh, on page 31, he's talking about what I mentioned before, how powerful our mind is, that it never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant it is creating. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. It appears at first glance that to believe such power about yourself is arrogant. That is not the real reason you do not believe it. You prefer to believe that your thoughts cannot exert real influence because you're actually afraid of them. This may allay awareness of the guilt, but at the cost of perceiving the mind as impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be afraid of it, but you are hardly likely to respect it. There are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. And then he continues, what you believe is true for you. In this sense, the separation has occurred and to deny it is merely to use denial inappropriately. So, you know, we see a lot of that in the world or people say, well, this is all just a dream and this is all just an illusion. So, you know, we just stay, just keeps us here by saying that. Obviously we do believe in it. We take it very seriously, <laughs> just let, you have some pain in your body or, you know, something happened uh, that, you know, well, look at the storms or whatever. And, and you're, of course, we take it seriously. So to, to deny it and say it's not, I'm not experiencing that. We're just really saying that, you know, that's just an unworthy form of denial. And he tells us in chapter three, every system of thought must have a starting point. It begins with either a making which that's what the ego does, or creating, that's on the realm of, on the level of, of heaven. 
Their resemblance lies in their power as foundations. Their difference lies in what rests upon them. Both are cornerstones of, for systems of belief by which one lives. It is a mistake to believe that a thought system based on lies is weak. Nothing made by a child of God is without power. It is essential to realize this because otherwise you will be unable to escape from the prison you have made. The separation is a system of thought real enough in time, though not in eternity. All beliefs are real to the believer. Um, Chapter four, he says, belief is an ego function, and as long as your origin is open to belief, we think we have made ourselves. you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. Belief that there is another way of perceiving is the loftiest idea of which ego thinking is capable. So even to say that there must be a better way and to recognize that that yes, well, we did this, that there, you know, we have that decision-making ability that we can choose, how our perception can change. He tells us in uh, chapter eight, the ego believes it is completely on its own. It's almost like having amnesia, you know, I, I see a lot of shows about people, something happens and maybe for years, and it happens in real life, uh, you know, when they finally, come back they have no sense of they have no sense of their identity what has happened I often wondered about that what that must be like so um, but that's what we think happened you know that we totally forgot that we were in heaven and what a terrible terrifying thought that must have been you know to uh, suddenly you're on your own and you have no idea how you got there (laughs) and we're totally dependent on ourselves for everything so um, he says, as long as your origin is open to belief, you are regarding it from an ego viewpoint. Belief that there is another way, again, that is, um, is the loftiest idea. So I'm sorry, I skipped, I went back. The ego believes it is completely on its own, which is a merely another way of describing how it thinks it originated. The ego, this is the great definition, is the mind's belief that it is completely on its own. Uh, Then he tells us in chapter five, whatever you accept into your mind has reality for you. It is the acceptance of it that makes it real. If you enthrone the ego in your mind, we give it ascendance in our mind, you're allowing it to enter, makes it your reality. So we really believe we pulled off the impossible, we, we usurped God's throne, and we are heavily invested in that. The next thing I wanted to, uh, to read was from chapter five on page 85. Uh, let's see, Some par- from paragraph six through eight, just a few uh, sections, which talk about uh, the two thought systems and the power to choose. And it tells us um, the ego cannot oppose the laws of God any more than you can, but it can int- interpret them according to what it wants just as you can. That is why the question, what do you want, must be answered. You are answering it every minute and every second. And each moment of decision is a judgment that is anything but ineffectual. Its effects will follow automatically until 
the decision is changed, but the alternatives themselves are unalterable. It's either the Holy Spirit or the ego. And then he says, we, we can't, only what God creates, of course, is irreversible and unchangeable. Delusional ideas are not real thoughts, although you can believe in them. But as part of God's thought, you cannot think apart from him. So to even think that we can think apart from God, that is, is just not true. Uh, down in paragraph seven, every disordered thought is attended by guilt at its inception and maintained by guilt in its continuous. Guilt is inescapable by those who believe they order their own thoughts and must therefore obey their dictates. That makes them feel responsible for their errors without recognizing that by accepting this responsibility, they are acting irresponsibly. Love, he has his plays on words. And then yeah, the thing about, um, uh, you know, the ego is built on lies. Um, like, like one of the questions, you know, I, th I think to ask myself is, is um, when I say, what do I want? And then I answer it. <laughs> Am I lying? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, when, when I say, what do I want? Well, I want the day to go well. I want to fix the website. I want to go to, you know, a class. But, but I mean, any of those things, even if they look like they're Course in Miracles oriented, <laughs> do, you know, just be, beyond those things, if I'm in ego mode, it has to be guilt. Uh, but I'm not fessing up to that. I was just wondering about the ways that we, lie to ourselves <laughs> and then how do we catch ourselves lying to ourselves like have you lied to yourself this morning <laughs> i can think of a few lies that <laughs> but anybody want to fess up <laughs> to to uh what do you want today <laughs> be honest now <laughs> thank you Tim. Uh, look at judy she wants something i can tell <laughs> well, I've been hankering after um, um, a tomato and bacon sandwich with lots of mayonnaise. <laughs> Am I lying? I thought you said you were going to say I was hankering after Big Red, the Concordia. <laughs> oh, that too. Oh, that, that would have been holy, but no, nah, not to be holy, but man. <laughs> On uh, the next page, he says, the continuing decision to remain separated is the only possible reason for continuing guilt feelings. We have said this before, but did not emphasize the destructive results of the decision. Any decision of the mind will affect both behavior and experience. What you want, you expect. This is not delusional. Your mind does make your future, and it will turn it back to full creation at any minute if it accepts the atonement first. So it says, if we really, really wanted it, we could, we, it, we could, we could, but how many people really have, do we have enough faith to really believe that right now we could have a holy instant, that we could awaken? 
So it's just something to, you know, to think about. He's telling us how invested we are in not believing that, not really wanting that because of, like Tim was saying, it's all just a mask for the underlying guilt. So um, whether it's our body, you know, and we think we're focused on that or the special relationships, it's always all of our grievances and judgments, all of our relationships, they just serve that purpose of keeping the ego alive and well so we'll never accept the truth. In, in uh, paragraph, uh, chapter seven, he says, the mind that accepts attack cannot love. This is because it believes it can destroy love and therefore it does not understand what love is. If it does not understand what love is, it cannot perceive itself as loving. This loses the awareness of being, induces feelings of unreality and results in utter confusion. <laughs> Your thinking has done this because of its power, but your thinking can also save you from this because its power is not of your making. So even the power that we have to make illusions, that comes from God. It's the power of God that we have misused. Your ability to direct your thinking as you choose is part of, your, of this power. If you do not believe this, that you can do this, you have denied the power of your thought and thus rendered it powerless in your belief. We can't really render it powerless, but we can believe that we have. So our investments, you know, we invest, our investments are where our salvation lies. And obviously if, if the purpose is to maintain the guilt, that's, you know, what we're going to do. And we know we've invested wrongly when we're not at peace. That's the clue. So the course oh, talks, I'm I was, sorry. I was talking to a, a friend of mine um, this few days ago and uh, she just moved into a new place and she wanted to have a, a new closet. Well, I, I don't even think there was a closet. She wanted to have a new closet built in her, in this basement uh, apartment she has. And, uh, and so, you know, she, she hooks up with this, contractor a lady who uh you know subcontracts out and um so it you know on the surface it looks like she wants <laughs> a, a closet and she was and her choice was should i do the ikea closet or should i invite this contractor to come in and and do something so she, of course she went for the contractor <laughs> and it all went bad i mean she she literally said you know that she was looking in the mirror and she goes i hate you contractor <laughs> she's just looking right in the mirror at herself but she's saying i hate you contractor <laughs> it's like it, it, you know i mean the setup is it looks like a blt sandwich <laughs> it looks like a nice closet <laughs> it's not it's just the setup if i'm doing anything with the ego anything i want to do that what i'm invested in to feel good is just a setup for when it goes bad. And in this case, it went really bad. <laughs> this is like, you know, the antichrist of the week for her. <laughs> I mean, she's crazed about this. But at least, you know, she's admitting it. And, you know, I mean, intellectually, she knows it's a reflection. And intellectually, she knows it's a setup. However, just to actually move through that process, where, where we can actually get motivated to let go of these investments because they're always in who's going to be the guilty party when this falls apart. I mean, you know, just say that out loud, like, well, of course I wouldn't do that. 
I'll have a clo I'll just go get the IKEA closet. Or <laughs> I'll admit I, I set all this up to be crazy at this person when they did it wrong, and and then I'll just oh I I set it up. Why why would I insist on being upset now? <laughs> it worked. I set it up. She failed, and now I'm upset. <laughs> I'm supposed to reap the award reward of my being upset because now I know who the bad guy is. But I mean, everything, everything done with the ego is that. And we tell ourselves it's just, I'd like a nice closet. Well, you can, you can like a nice closet with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that's possible. You can eat your BLT with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you don't have to leave him out <laughs> of anything. But if it's a setup and then we don't admit it, that's where we just keep spinning. I keep spinning my wheels over and over and over again. I just thought it was a really good story because <laughs> you know, to watch somebody who's really working on themselves spiritually and suddenly they have an antichrist in their lives. <laughs> yeah. And when you're really serious, that's when all that stuff starts really happening. <laughs> and that's why uh, the rules of decision we were talking about um, and starting your day by turning it over to spirit as your guide and helping to see things, you know, to think with the Holy Spirit. So when those things come up, and they will, <laughs> you can bet that they're going to, but then we'll remember, oh, that's what this is really about. It's not about what it looks like on the surface. It's, this is what's really going on, on underneath. And we just start catching ourselves quicker. Doesn't mean that we're not gonna keep doing that because we will as long as the guilt's still there but we'll correct it quicker and it just becomes more of a habit to turn to the Holy Spirit than it is to start the blame. As soon as we start the blame, you know, say that's my little, the red flag that should go off, my ego alert button. So of course he tells us right um, early on that the, the way that we start to withdraw, of course, is realizing there's a problem. And he tells us tolerance for pain may be high. This is right in chapter two but it isn't without limit. And eventually everybody recognizes that there must be a better way. That's what led to the Course of Miracles, you know, Bill Thetford saying that to Helen, there must be a better way. And as it says, as this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. Spiritual vision literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. Because of the strength of its vision, it brings the mind into its service. This reestablish, reestablishes the power of the mind, which we had rendered powerless. This reestablishes the power of the mind and makes it increasingly unable to tolerate delay. We get tired of our being in pain, you know, realizing that it only adds unnecessary pain. So we have to look for, to ask for help. And as it says in uh, Lesson 187, illusion recognized must disappear. And as I was going through uh, in preparation for this, how many times that word recognize comes up? You know, we have to be aware of it first. And it also, we can't just, just notice it. We have to recognize it by looking at it with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit at the purpose that it serves. Because not looking is the way that we keep it. Um, chapter three says, the way to correct distortions, to correct delusions, is to withdraw your faith in them and, and, and invest it in only what is true. If you perceive truly you are canceling out misperceptions in yourself and in others, 
simultaneously because remember minds are joined so that's how we help the whole sonship as we are start you know asking more and more for help and as our minds are healed but the whole mind is healed and in chapter four he tells us that the ego is afraid of the spirit's joy because once you have experienced it the joy you will withdraw all protection all our defenses from the ego and become totally without investment in fear. Your investment is great now because fear is a witness to the separation and your ego rejoices, <laughs> rejoices when you witness to it. Leave it behind is what he tells us. Ego rejoices. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm just wondering where are you at? Where are you reading that from? Oh, I'm sorry, that was from um, that last one. That was from chat. I have a lot of references. If anybody wants any of the references, I can always send them to Tim, Tim and Lynn. Uh, this was from chapter four, page five, um, 55, paragraph 10, Roman number one, that last passage about um, our investment is great and how our ego rejoices when you witness to it. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, I'm kind of a visual learner. So, like when people try to give me directions and they tell <laughs> me directions, I can't make heads or tails of it. But if I look at them, I'm I'm good. Oh, okay. So it's almost the same thing. If I'm trying to listen, uh -huh. my mind starts wandering, and I, I'm having I have a hard yeah, time. Yeah, I have a lot of information here. Yeah. yeah. A, look at it. It's I a can, Californian oh, thing. You ever see the Californians <laughs> on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> Well, I'll just, I'll just kind of go through some of these. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going Lynn, to... Uh, Lynn Altman has some. Oh, okay. Lynn? Yeah, um, thanks. I just, I've been um, going back to that question of what I want, what do I want? And I, I realized that what I want to do is I want to stop feeling afraid all the time. However, what I'm really saying is I want to be afraid. I mean, I mean, that's really, that's the underlying, I guess I just... Uh, if I'm afraid all the time, I'm wanting that. And it's that thing about fear being the witness to separation. So I'm saying, oh, I want, I want, I want, I don't want to be afraid. And yet at the same time, my whole, whole underlying purpose is to look at things so that that fear keeps going. And I, I guess what I'm, I'm asking myself now is how do I... I feel like my whole focus has been trying to get to that place where I'm not afraid rather than really looking at the underlying need to be afraid so that I get to maintain this sense of myself with, without ducking it, without trying to turn it into something else to, to right. show that I'm, I'm really on the right track. And um, I guess I'm just sort of struck this morning with, what it would be like, that would be really giving up the, my control um, and just saying, here I am with this deep belief that, that I need to maintain this self the way I know it to be. And it's not serving me. Um, just, just to be with that rather than trying to go anywhere with it, but just to, to notice how that does not serve me. That's really um, 
Anyway, thank you. I just wanted to. Thank you, Lynn. Anybody else have anything they want to share? Okay. Um, oh, I just had one. Uh, another course student. We we just read about creation, and he had a couple of things to say. Um, one was that the Holy Spirit saves your your um, thoughts of kindness and love, and those are your creations. So even here, thoughts of kindness and love are saved um, as your creations. And so, so what I said was, well, hey, how could there be creations if it's all one? And he came back with, well, think of facets on a diamond. And you can have multiple facets on a diamond, but it's still one diamond. So I just liked that. And, and since we read about creations like a couple of references ago, I thought I'd share that because I thought that was a nice way of thinking of oneness, but also multiple facets of it. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, it occurred to me that uh, to invest is to keep. And I want to keep what I think I am and all the stuff I've accumulated to maintain what I think I am. But at the same time, I want to, to invest in my true reality, my true self. And this is the conflict, so I want to have my cake and eat it too, in one sense. Uh, and we can't keep one and have the other. It's one or the other. So um, he goes on and t tells us, I'm not going to read all these, but just um, just kind of give the gist, different places where he tells us that um, when we recognize that uh, when we can see beyond, as we've all been talking about, to what's the underlying uh, purpose for and what the, what the cost is to us of holding on to what's not, no longer serving us. That this is a hallucination. So he refers to this world as being, you know, everything's a, a hallucination. We've given it all the power. We've made it up. And he talks a lot about that in chapter 20. But um, he says, just believe them not and they are gone. But before you can do that, you can't do that until you recognize that they serve a purpose. All of our problems, as we said, there's a reason for it. You know, or a special relationship. There's a reason for it. And we're, we're just looking, as Tim said, we need something outside of us to, we, to keep the guilt going. We have to blame somebody else for why we're not upset. That's the purpose. But the Holy Spirit turns the tables on that. And through the Holy Spirit, he leads us to the happy dream. He gives us another purpose when we ask. But we have to ask. That's really important. Um, so, and he tells us just... I'll read this one <laughs> In chapter 12, he tells us on the, uh, Roman numeral 6, paragraph 4, page 228. It's just, um, it says, to open the eyes of the blind, because he had started that section, the investment in reality. So that, you know, that's what he was talking about, that opening the eyes of the blind. That's the Holy Spirit's mission. And of course, he's talking about, you know, spiritual blindness. For he knows that they have not lost their vision, but merely sleep. And he would awaken them by, from the sleep of forgetting to the remembering of God. 
So uh, the awakening of the sun begins with the investment in the real world. So that's the, as this world is seen differently, as our minds are healed, we'll proceed with true perception and the, the vision of Christ. That's the goal. And that's really the goal of the Course, is peace. It's not, you know, totally awakening to be back in heaven. The goal of the Course is to lead us to the real world. So um, th that was the basic uh, things that I had to uh, share with you. I have one other thing. Let me check that real quick. I don't think we need to read that. That's okay. I'm just going to stop with all that because I think you can, you know, it's, it's pretty well been covered about the purpose for our investments and the need to, we, we can tell because we're not at peace. And like I said, when we're, when we're doing the, our spiritual work, things will come up for us. And we'll, that's good because that's what we need. That's the whole purpose is to uncover these blocks. And of course, we're going to have things come up. It's not just going to be magically taken from us. Uh, I think it was Helen was fearful and Jesus said, don't take away, don't ask me to remove your fear because I would be interfering with that decision-making power that you have. He says, instead, the basic cause and effect, the cause is in the mind. So I can't just take away your fear, but I can help heal your mind. And, and that will be the, uh, that is how the fear is removed. You know, you don't, you're not, you can't ask to have the fear removed before you have the holy instant. The holy instant is what helps to remove the fear. So we have everything backwards. But if we just remember that, you know, whenever we're not at peace, um, that's the clue that we've made some wrong investment and that we can ask the Holy Spirit and put our trust in him and put our trust in Jesus, your higher power, whatever you choose to call it. So uh, does anybody have anything before? Um, I'm just going to say that, you know, it's inevitable that we're going to get, get caught up in our investments and our problems in the world and problems our loved ones are having all the chaos that's going on in the news, but the Holy Spirit will help us to look at it and see it for what it is. It's always an attempt of the ego to convince us of its reality, and we want that. On some level, we have made this. It's a temptation to believe that there could be something else, that there could be a God and, and we're not asked to sacrifice anything. He's not asking us to give up anything. But just to exchange our purpose for the Holy Spirit's purpose from separation to joining. And some things may fall away on their own if they no longer serve that new purpose. And that's that, you know, but it may not. But at least we'll be able to see, you know, things differently and how it happens. That's not up to us. That's not our concern. And as we were talking about, all he's asking, he's really asking so little from us because it's the Holy Spirit that, that actually does it. All we do is turn to him and how it happens, how it's undone is really not our concern. So it requires a lot of trust. And we, and the more that it happens, the more that we say, you know, I must, I don't understand how this, <laughs> why I wanted this or how I chose this, but I either believe what this says or I don't, you know, and the more that you had those experiences, of turning uh, to the Holy Spirit and saying, help me to see this differently. And you see that it works. Then you, you start having more faith in it, more belief in it. And it, then that becomes the automatic response, you know, instead, wait a minute, I don't have to go there. 
And I caught myself just two days ago. I got caught up in something where I didn't do that soon enough. And I felt the results of it. I mean, I really did not feel good for a few hours because, and then I asked for help, you know, and, and it, it abated, you know, not as long as it maybe used to take me, but we still get caught up. But when we remember, and then just think of all those times in the past when it worked for us, and that'll give us the impetus to try it again. So, and the progress along the path, we can't really know where we're at spiritually. You know, there's a lot of teachings that tell us that, that uh, you do some, you can, some gauge that you can monitor where you're at. But um, the peace, how, how long you stay in the distress before, before you choose again, that could be a key factor. And uh, how quick we are to uh, forgive, to, to not take offense. Those are all ways that we um, maybe can tell that, you know, yes, this is truly working. I'm going to stick with this because I know this path works. So, and peace is the result of investing in the right teacher, investing in the Holy Spirit. So um, I wanted to end with uh, uh, from page 407 in the workbook on just uh, chap paragraph three. Um, what, and uh, what is salvation, page 407. But does anybody have anything that they wanted to add, to comment on, or before I before we close? Tony, I, I was really enjoying everything you shared today. When, when, when you talk about investments, I was just thinking about um, idle investments, kind of like idle thoughts. And I was thinking how, you know, those investments really don't go anywhere. <laughs> There's no real traction in truth. But, you know, we, we certainly seem to get a lot of mileage out of them um, in our imagination. But, but you know, they, because they never really make us truly happy in a sustainable way. Um, you know, they're, they're just idle investments. Anyway, so in case that's helpful. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. So I just wanted to read paragraph three and then, um, then we'll close and we'll just take a minute to get silent. What is salvation? Salvation is undoing in the sense that it does nothing, failing to support the world of dreams and malice. Thus, it lets illusions go. By not supporting them, it merely lets them quietly go down to dust. And what they hid is now revealed, an altar to the holy name of God, whereon his word is written with the gifts of your forgiveness laid before it and the memory of God, not far behind. I'll take a minute just to think about that. And when you're ready, come back.
Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Tony, for such a thorough presentation. <laughs> thank you. That was great. Thanks a lot, Tony. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tony. Excellent.